Christmas is one of the times of the year where we make a big deal about the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus, of course, as a man, is a vital part of our belief as Christians. But as, a, as important as that birth is, would it, would it surprise you to know that John doesn't write about the birth of Jesus at all in his gospel? That Mark begins his gospel with the baptism of Jesus at the age of 30, and he too doesn't speak about the birth of Jesus. As for Matthew, he speaks about the engagement of Mary and Joseph and declares Mary's conception to be of the Holy Spirit, but all we know about the birth of Jesus from Matthew is summed up in one verse, and it says this in Matthew 1 and verse 25, she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, almost as if the details were not the important thing. So if we want to know anything about the birth of Jesus, the only place we can find that is in the Gospel of Luke. Now, while there's a number of details that we could focus on, I want to focus here for our purposes today on just one aspect of the birth of Jesus, and that is the manger. Were it not for Luke... We would not even know that Jesus was laid in a manger. Speaking about Mary, the gospel writer says this in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Now, the Greek word used for manger here is found only four times in the entire New Testament. Its Old Testament equivalent is found three times in all of the Old Testament. And all four New Testament uses of the word manger are found in the Gospel of Luke. Three of these occurrences are in Luke chapter 2 and refer to the object the, that we're talking about here, the manger in which Jesus lay. And, and so we read in Luke chapter 2, as we already read, and verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him in the end. And then a little later, in verse 16 of Luke chapter 2, the angels told the shepherds that they would find Jesus in a manger. Luke 2 and verse 12, And this shall be a sign for you. You shall find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then in verse 16, the shepherds uh, went to Bethlehem, and of course they went into that place where Jesus was, and they found him just as the shepherds had told him. And so in verse 16, we read the third occurrence of the word manger, and it reads as follows, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The only other time the word is used in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 13 and verse 15, which says, Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And so the verse tells us that an ox or donkey was tied to the manger, but it had to be untied to lead it to water. 
These are the only references to the word major in the New Testament. Now, historically, in Jesus' day, a manger was generally made of a mixture of clay and straw and not generally made of wood. There was nothing special or more basic than something that was made of clay and straw. It was the cheapest type of construction material available. You just went out and dug up some clay and gathered some straw and mixed them together with water. And there was no particular pride taken in the construction of a manger. It was often very roughly shaped. They were used to feed animals, and so there was no particular uh, desire to make them pretty or fancy. And uh, they wore out, and they would be simply broken down and disposed of when they wore out. And there was no material in them that could be salvaged or recycled. They were just thrown out into a garbage heap and disposed of. And, and so consider this for a moment. Only one of the gospel writers sees fit to tell us that Jesus was laid in a manger. And that single writer is the only author of the New Testament who uses the word manger at all. And apart from this reference in Luke to the manger, the word is only used four other times in both the Old and the New Testament, and none of those refer to the manger uh, Jesus laid in. It's not something that anyone, in fact, apart from Luke, really gave any thought to. And, and so the question we ask ourselves is this, should we even make a deal about this fact that Jesus was laid in a manger? Is there any significance to this fact at all? Well, to answer that question of whether the manger is of any significance, we need to examine the verses that speak about it. And the first of those verses is Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, which says this, And she gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Notice what the verse tells us. When Jesus was born, all the inns were full. The city was filled with people coming to register for tax purposes. And those people were very busy with all kinds of activity. Likely restaurants were full. Entertainment centers were doing great business. The cafes were bustling, even though coffee had not yet been discovered. And outside of all of this was a young couple with no place to stay. She was pregnant on the verge of giving birth to her first child, and this couple was unnoticed by the people thronging the city. Their child was born outside of a hospital. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 tells us that the only safe place the couple had to lay their child was in a manger. Now Mary knew that this child was a very special child. He had been miraculously, miraculously placed in her womb by the Spirit of God. And Mary knew that Jesus deserved the very best she could give, and that very best was a manger because there was no room in the five-star hotels. The manger of, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 represents the very best Mary could offer. Now, from a human perspective, it wasn't very much. It was clay and straw. 
dried together. It was the simplest of the simple. In time, that manger would be broken up or fall apart. It would not be placed in a shrine to be adored. It wasn't that important. But it had a purpose for a few days, and then it would fade away. Now, I know Jesus deserves much more than I can offer him. He deserves that five-star end, but all I have is a manger. And I'm far from perfect, and I am certainly not worthy of uh, his presence. And I struggle with sin and fall short of his purpose. But I want you to know, however, that the Lord Jesus is willing to take up residence in these unworthy bodies and hearts of ours. And the question we ask ourselves is this, will we open our hearts to him today and cry out to him and say, Lord, I'm unworthy, but I offer myself to you, unfit for your presence. I'm an unfit cradle for the king of kings. But Lord, if you'll come and dwell, I'll offer myself to you. You see, the manger, yes, it's unimportant. It was unworthy of being preserved in a museum. It would never be kept in a shrine. It would break down and end up in some garbage pile and disappear. But for a moment, it would house the presence of the King of Kings. It would be an unworthy bed for him to rest, but it would reflect the glory of one who was unworthy, who was, it was who it was unworthy to reflect. This bed, so unworthy of Christ, was all Mary had to offer him, but his presence richly adorned it for a time. Now notice, secondly, the words of the angel, the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 and verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The angels, speaking to the shepherds in the field that day, told them that they would find a baby lying in a manger. And we read what happened when the shepherds heard that message in verse 16, where it says this, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The shepherds found the baby just as the angels had told them. But what's important for us here is to see what the angels told the shepherds in verse 12 when, he, when they said this, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The manger, according to the angels, was a sign. How would the shepherds recognize the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised King of Israel? They would recognize him by the manger. It was this manger that distinguished him from all other kings. Other kings were born in palaces. They were born with great fanfare. They were born in luxury and ease with every eye upon them. But the birth of the King of Kings was very different. The manger was a sign of his birth, but it would also characterize his life and his ministry. He would be brought up by an average poor couple. He would not have a home to call his own. 
He didn't have servants. He was a servant. He would be despised and rejected. He would only live 33 years before he would be cruelly killed by the religious leaders of his nation. He would be a sacrificial lamb for his people. And the manger was a sign. You would know the Messiah by the sign of the manger. His was a humble birth. His was a humble life. He he would not live for the riches of this world. They meant nothing to him. He had no interest in them. He would defy the concept of what an earthly king was. In him, the poorest of the poor could find refuge and support. He was the king of in an animal trough. He was the Lord in a stable. He touched no other king would touch. He ministered to those no other king would speak to. He laid down his life for the unworthy. He was the untainted friend of sinners. The manger was a sign. The invisible God taking on flesh. The all-powerful God submitting to human limitation. Holy God dwelling with sinners. The immortal God submitting to the penalty of death. The glorious God being rejected and mocked. The omnipresent God contained in a clay trough. It was as such, however, that he would conquer sin, death, and the authority of the devil. His humiliation would conquer hatred. His death would overcome the curse of sin. He wasn't like other kings. He was the manger king. He was the one whose death would give eternal life and forgiveness. He touched those no one else dared to touch. He was not ashamed to have a manger crib. He was not ashamed to be lifted up on a cross. He was not ashamed to be beaten and bruised for me and for you. And so was the manger important in and of itself? No. It was just a feeding trough. It wasn't worth anything in itself, just clay and straw. What is important, however, it was what it tells us about the Lord. The angels tell us that we would recognize him by the manger. He was the manger king. He unashamedly sleeps in an animal trough. Worldly comforts meant nothing to him. He unhesitatingly submits to suffer for us. And as the manger king, he's not ashamed to call you his friend and not ashamed to be your savior. He reaches out to you in your sin and your darkness. And when you can't reach up to his level, he reaches down to yours. The manger is a symbol of hope and seeing him in that feeding trough gives me hope. If he is willing to sleep in a manger, surely he will listen to my plea. Surely he will care for me. As we end this year, what are you facing? Let me introduce you to a king like no other. He's the manger king. He comes to the most unworthy of his all.
You say, I'm not worthy of him. Well, if you're in a manger unworthy of him today, know that he's unashamed to grace that manger with his presence. And that's what sets him apart from all the kings. We recognize him by the manger he sleeps in. We identify him as the one who eats with sinners. And when you're looking for him, he's, on the, he's the one on the cross dying in your place. As unimportant as that manger was, it, it does proclaim the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbled himself so that you and I could know forgiveness and hope through his work as the manger king.